This is the Savvy Parent Podcast, where lawyer and financial planning expert Shannon McNulty and her guests share tips on how to make smart legal and financial decisions for your family. On this episode of the Savvy Parent Podcast, we are taking a deep dive into the first important area of your estate plan, the will. Shannon McNulty, New York lawyer, shares what this important document is and why you need to have it. Shannon shares so much great information about wills on the episode, what the will is, why it's important, what should go into a will, and what might not. She talks not only about the different people related to your will, like the executor, beneficiaries, and guardian for your children, but she also shares insight into what you need to consider when making these important decisions. This deep dive into your will is what every parent needs to know. Enjoy the episode. All right, Shannon, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Sarah. So great to be here again. Yes, I'm excited about today's topic. I think it's one that people feel like they know, but I think you're going to give us so much more detail than we probably understand. And today we are digging into wills as part of our estate plan deep dive on this podcast in our series. It's such an important topic. Yes, that's why we're starting there. So start with telling us what is the will and why is it so critical to have this piece of your estate plan in place? Sure. And as the very basic level, a will is the document that says where your assets should go if you pass away. So who is going to get your assets? And it's really important to have that document in place because if you don't put it in place, then the state has a plan for you. So if you don't have the will in place, then the state says where your assets go. And they might not be the place where you think that they're going to go or whether or where you would want them to go. So for example, in New York state, if one spouse passes away and they have young children, the assets don't all go to the other spouse, which is a common misconception. The assets are actually divided between your spouse and your kids, um, 50-50. And the money that goes to your kids, if you have minor children, they are not old enough to manage it. And so it's overseen by the court. So you have a parent who is inheriting half of it and the other half of it, they have to be working with the court in order to be using for their own kids. So that's like a really bad situation to have. And a lot of people don't realize that if they don't have a will, that's precisely what happens. Wow, that's good to know. So, and we're gonna get into all the parts that you need to cover. But yeah, I think that's that's enough reason why you wanna make sure that your assets go exactly where you want them to go, as well as some other really important pieces. So what are the basic parts of the will? You've talked about assets and where they're going to, but what else is, is in the will? So one of the most important parts of the will when you have young kids, kids under 18, is a guardianship provision. So you want to make sure that your will specifies who you would want to take care of your kids if you were not, uh, had passed away and also your other, the other parent had passed away as well. Who administers your assets? So the will says is basically an instruction and the instruction is to what is called your executor. And your executor carries out your wishes. Uh, so naming the executor who would go, who you would want to serve that role. And then the other basic part of it is who receives your assets. So like I said, who are your assets going to end up with? So those are the three major parts of a will. Yeah, let's dive into those a little bit more. So tell us a little bit more about the executor. And how you choose. I recall many years ago when my parents were putting their will together, um, they actually did not have me as an executor. They had my uncle because they thought if we pass away at a certain time, she's still young. This is not going to be so easy to 
like you said, carry out the wishes. So they had my uncle up until a certain point when I became old enough that they felt like I could take that on. So talk to us a little bit more about the executor role in the will. Sure. The executor is going to be the person who is in charge of everything. So they're kind of taking over once you've passed away, they're taking over for your assets in terms of who they go to, working with the court, working with the attorney in terms of making sure that everything gets to where where it's supposed to go. They have to file tax returns for the estate and they have to basically prove, make notice to certain people who might receive under the will and just make sure that their basic function is making sure everything goes to where it's supposed to go. But there are a lot of legal requirements that go along with that. Yeah. And do you recommend that it's a family member, that it's someone that might also be named in the will? How does that come into play? Is it, do you choose someone outside of your family? How does that work? I think most people have a family member. The legal requirements in most states is that that person just needs to be 18 years old. Of course, I think 18 is pretty young. So you might want to ask somebody who's older than that. But having a sibling or a parent is very common. So I think it's very common to have a a family member. They don't have to be a professional because that person, one of the tasks for them or one of their responsibilities is going to be to hire those people who will help them to carry out their, their role. If you don't have a person who, a family member who you feel like would be a good, a good choice for that, you can choose someone else. So you can choose a lawyer, you can choose an accountant. So there are other options. If you feel like you would just rather it be, sometimes just people want it to be in third parties' hands. You know, they don't want sort of all of the, um, for lack of a better word, like the dynamics of the family dynamics and the emotional dynamics that might go into uh, having a family member, sir. Absolutely. So the executor is taking care of making sure all of the wishes are put in place. And I think as a parent, one of the pieces of the will that I was most stressed about was choosing a guardian for my kids in the event that something happened to both my husband and I. So let's talk about the guardianship portion of the will a little bit. What do people need to know? So... You know, it is definitely, I would say it's the most important part of the will if you have young kids, because that who takes care of your kids, who's more important, who's more important than that, right? Yeah. The guardian in the will is generally your choice of who you would want. And we generally put two people. So we put a primary choice and an alternate choice. So if that first person isn't able to serve, then they have an alternate person. It's important to know that at the end of the day, it's the court has to approve this choice. So it's usually the person who is designated by the parents because the court will take that under consideration. But I think that in my perspective, the almost the most important thing is just so that everybody knows this is who you would want and that it prevents the court challenge because somebody hopefully is not going to want to overturn your wishes. So if you don't have who you would want to serve in that role, then people often think, well, they obviously would have wanted me, right? I'm obviously the best person to take care of kids. And so you may have multiple people who would, who would feel that way. And then you end up in some kind of guardianship dispute, which could be really detrimental to the kids. So having the guardianship named in the document is not just for purposes of the court, but it's also for purposes of other family members just to 
make sure that they understand this is the person who you think would do the best job. Yeah, absolutely. Because your kids would already be going through so much, you know, in the event that this had to be enacted and they have to go to a new guardian and you certainly don't want fights and arguments around this. So yeah, as stressful as it was, it, it also was a big, we've said this before, a big sigh of relief when that was chosen and documented and things were in place. So it's stressful, but it's, it's good when it's done. Absolutely. So, okay. So we've talked about the person who is executing the will, the guardian. Um, what do people need to know about choosing their beneficiaries, especially their children and how much detail goes into this part? This is another really important part of the will. And the reason is that, especially when you have young kids, so if you're choosing, you don't have young kids and you're leaving it to adult children, it's maybe not as complicated if you're leaving it to a sibling or something like that. But the drawbacks in terms of, or the, the pitfalls in terms of leaving it to children who are under 18 are pretty substantial. So you want to give a lot of thought into the means by which you want to leave those, those assets. If they just go outright to children, then the, like I said earlier, anything that goes to a child who's under the age of 18, it gets administered by the court. It's supervised by the court. And the, whoever is charged with administering that by the court, a person is appointed by the court, they have to provide um, reports to the court every year. So, and they have to ask permission from the court to do certain things. So that is really not an ideal situation. And so usually in most cases, I would say to leave it to a trust. So your will would just say, I leave it to, you can have what we call a pour over will saying, I leave everything to this trust that I created previously during my life. Or you can have it, uh, the trust as part of your will. And in that case, it's called a testamentary trust. And so the trust provisions would be included in your will. I see. So as people are working on their will and they're getting clear on what's in their estate and what they want to have happen to the different pieces, whether that be monetary assets or physical items, how much detail goes into the will? Are you naming every single thing that you own? This seems like it could get very challenging. So the nice thing, I guess, of the will is that it just covers whatever you own. That's not, that, that's not going by some other mechanism. So that's the caveat of this. So we have two types when we're doing, talking about estate planning. We have two types of assets. We have what we call probate assets and non-probate assets. So non-probate assets are assets that are transferred immediately upon your death to another person. And that is done often by a beneficiary designation. So if you have a retirement account and you're naming a beneficiary as the, uh, the person who would receive the, the account, then that trumps your will. That goes outside of your will. Uh, life insurance, if you name your, you know, somebody as the, your spouse as the beneficiary of your life insurance, that doesn't go through your will. Anything that's jointly owned, so joint asset, joint accounts, jointly owned property, automatically the other person generally is going to automatically be the, the sole owner once one person passes away. So those things, they don't go through your estate. And whatever you have in, as a beneficiary, for example, 
that's going to go however you name it as a beneficiary. It's not going to go under the terms of your will. What that means is you have to make really, um, you have to be really careful about making sure all of those beneficiary designations are up to date. The will says basically what says is everything else that I own, anything that's not going through some other mechanism, that all goes through the will and to the beneficiaries that I've named. And I'll step back just a minute and say that even if you have a beneficiary designation for a retirement account or a life insurance policy, you might, as one of the beneficiaries, say, I name my estate. And that way, everything goes, then that goes through your will. So that then goes back to being covered by your will. And sometimes people will do that just because they figure they're more likely to update their will. And if they get married or have kids, they might forget about updating a policy. So those are sort of just the differences in terms of uh, a non-probate asset and a probate asset, which would be anything that you own individually that doesn't have any kind of beneficiary designation. Got it. And I like that you said that you can name sort of your beneficiary as your estate, because I was thinking about that. You might have all these accounts and beneficiaries, and it would be so easy, like you said, to just forget to update it or, you know, a life change happens, a marriage ends, another family member is added. And all of a sudden your 401k or your retirement, whatever it is, isn't going to the correct people. And at the end of the day, it's, it's who's named on that. So that's nice that there is that option. It does allow you to set and forget that piece so that you can focus on keeping your will current and up to date. Yeah, absolutely. And that's as well, if you have young kids, you don't want to name them as direct beneficiaries. You want it to go into a trust. So you might name your estate or the trust as the beneficiary instead of having those directly uh, named in the, in the document. Got it. That's good to know. So once all of these pieces of the will are figured out, is the will recorded anywhere with public record? How do you make it official? Once the will is executed, meaning that it's signed by the testator or testatrix is what we refer to the person who's making the will. Once it's signed by them in front of two witnesses and the witnesses have signed as well, then it becomes effective. We also in most cases, are going to want it notarized. And the reason we want it notarized is that if it's not notarized, it's still valid. However, if it's when it goes to the court, the court is going to want testimony or affidavits from the people who served as witnesses. So if those person, people are no longer around, or if you had chosen random people, you don't know where they are, right? Maybe you went to the bank, they don't no longer work there. So Without the notarization, it can cause a lot of problems. So really, you want to have the two witnesses and the notary. And that, that could vary a little bit by state. But in general, that's the rule across the board. Okay. And, and so once all this is signed and notarized, where, where should you keep your will? What, what physically should you be doing with it? Sure. And I think I didn't address the issue of like, is it recorded somewhere? It's not recorded anywhere in terms of like, it's not recorded with some kind of governmental authority. You can sometimes record it with a court. That's generally, I would say it's not recommended because if you redo your will, it could be difficult to change it. So most cases, unless someone is elderly and they're concerned that maybe somebody could forge their will, then and they not don't plan on changing it, then you would just file it with the court. But for most people, you wouldn't file it with the court. You would 
make sure that you have a original copy and that that is in a safe place. Sometimes, in most cases, people keep it in some kind of maybe safe deposit box and they're or safe in their home. Um, they might keep it with family members. Sometimes people ask, they think, oh, they should put it in a safe deposit box in the bank. That's not a great idea because if you've passed away and nobody else has access to it, then you, your executor has to get an order from the court to have the safe deposit box open. So most cases, and you know, for they people will keep it in their files in their home. Also, you can have an attorney keep it for you, and that way you have a third party. If something, you know, your house burns down or something like that, then the the attorney has it. I would just put a caveat and just make sure that you keep in touch with that attorney and that you know what their contact information is. So if that attorney moves to another firm or if they are no longer in business or whatever, then you just want to make sure that that attorney is keeping up with, if they're not going to be around, then they make sure that they provide that back to you. Right. And as you said, there might be times where changes need to be made to the will. So for us to keep in mind, what sorts of things might trigger us going back to the will and making changes? So the most common is changes to people who you've designated in your will as your executor, as your guardian, your beneficiaries. So I would say mostly it's who you're choosing as your executor or your guardians. And that is often just because maybe you've named your parents and 10 years from now, they're not really in a position. They're not well enough to be able to take on two kids. And so that would be a reason why you would change it. The other part, if you have more children, a lot of times that's a common question. If the will is drafted properly, you should not have to change your will. And the will should cover future children. Okay, that's good to know. So once all these pieces are in place and someone passes away, what then happens with the will? How does all of this then go into effect? So if someone passes away, the next thing that happens is whoever is the executor who you've named in your will will call an attorney. Um, Ideally, it's the same person who drafted the will because they are probably familiar with your situation and the provisions in the will. But it doesn't have to be the same person who drafted the document. It could be any attorney. You could call them and say, you know, my so-and-so has passed away. I'm the executor. What do I do next? And the attorney will then tell you, you need to submit the will to the court. And generally, the attorney is going to work with that person, with the executor, to file the will with the court. And um, and th- that has to be the original will. And I guess that's something that's really important. A lot of people don't realize. And it's so counterintuitive in this day and age when everything is electronic. You need an original signature, original signed document of your will, which of which there can only be one. And that has to be filed with the court. You cannot file a copy of your will with the court. If you lose, if the will is lost, that can create all kinds of problems. If you have just a copy, that's also, a, and a, there's just a whole procedure that would need to be done in order to get that copy of the will probated or admitted to the court. But that's the process basically is that that person works with the attorney and generally, the attorney is just going to guide that person through the whole process 
file what needs to be filed, draft whatever documents need to be drafted, and help the executor along. So it sounds like then it's always going to go through the court, correct? No matter what happens, the court is involved, but we want to make it as easy as possible. We don't want there to be stopping points along the way because these pieces weren't addressed correctly. Am I understanding that right? Yes. I'll put one exception. Okay. Exception is when there are no probate assets. So if all of your assets are non-probate assets, meaning their life insurance, their uh, retirement accounts or other kind of brokerage accounts where you've named a beneficiary or a person who would receive the accounts on death, or if you created what we call a living trust and put your assets in the trust, that avoids this whole court system. So you still have a will, but your will says, you know, I leave everything to generally if you have a trust, it'll say, it'll, I leave it to the trust or it can just leave it, say to Bobby and Susie or whoever. But nothing actually, because everything is taken care of in another manner, there's nothing left to go through the will. In that case, you don't have to work with the court. And that's the benefit of having that living trust that sometimes we talk about. Okay. And we'll we'll get into more detail in that in another show. So um, I know this will range for probably state to state for individuals, but can you give us a general ballpark cost of what it costs to have a will done? And maybe it makes sense to sort of bundle some of these pieces together. Can you give us any insight on that? Yeah, it may based on the one, I guess you could do it online. That's, I think it's a couple hundred dollars to do it online. Um, Obviously that's not the best way. Um, So you're not getting the expertise that you would get with a lawyer. Uh, To hire a lawyer, that also depends a lot on the expertise of the lawyer and where you're located. So in New York, it tends to be a little bit more expensive maybe than other parts of the country. And I would say it's probably around $2,000 for for a, a will. And just to compare that, if someone were having you do tackle their entire estate plan, do a living trust, can you give us a ballpark for that just for comparison purposes? Sure. Um, the living trust can get, that, that starts to get like a, a whole other plan um, and mm-hmm. that gets into many thousands of dollars. But uh, say a simple will package um, for a young couple that has your power of attorney, your healthcare proxy, your uh, temporary guardianship, all of these other things, sort of these other bells and whistles, you're probably talking anywhere from around like $2,500 to $3,000. Okay. So all things considered, it's going to cost you some money, but those other pieces that are also important, we're not tacking on tens of thousands of dollars to that basic will. But like you said, the full estate plan, a living trust, that's when we're going to be looking at spending more money, but to get that peace of mind and to get all these pieces taken care of yeah, for when we need I them. What I tell my clients is this is an investment you're making in your family and for a pretty long time. Now, once we have, when I'm working with clients and we do a really good job and usually includes more than just a simple will, they don't have to revisit this for 10 years or even a substantial changes, probably not until their kids are graduated from college. So, you know, it is a bit of, you know, a chunk of change to be spending up front, but it is something that like you spend the money and then you have the peace of mind rare, you know, some, they might have some minor changes along the way, but it's something that you're going to be keeping for a good period of time. 
Yeah, that's good to know. It's it's hard, I think, to think of all these pieces together and the financial impact. But like you said, it's you're taking care of it up front and then there's peace of mind when everything is done. So you've covered so many great details today about wills. Is there anything else we need to know or that you didn't share with us yet today? I guess another kind of in terms of something where if you, a circumstance where you want to change your will is if there's a divorce, then you uh, would want to change your will. So that's something I forgot to mention. But I think that we've covered quite a bit and uh, hopefully our listeners are better educated about what a will is and, and why it's important. Absolutely. And if they have more questions, we've got great content on the blog and they can reach out to you or an attorney in their area to start this conversation if they don't have their will going already. So Shannon, thank you so much for all your insight on this really important piece of the estate plan. Thank you, Sarah. It's been a pleasure. That was fantastic information about your will and what you need to know. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at thesavvyparent.us and don't forget to join our free community. 